All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be finishing out the chapter today. Years ago, I don't know how many, probably, well, let me back up a little bit. So many years ago, <laughs> uh, my wife and I both worked in real estate, and, and that worked out really well uh, for us until about 2008 when it just kind of stopped working altogether. Uh, kind of just the same time got the rug jerked out from under us uh, in the real estate business, and uh, as a result, had kind of a, you know several years uh, after that that uh, I would consider kind of some of our lean years, um, you know where we just really had to trust God a lot, um, you know just for income and provision and those kinds of things, and and you know God was faithful and you know had a roof over our head and uh, didn't miss any meals or anything like that. So I don't, don't want to paint a worse picture than it was, but uh, just during that time, we had an opportunity um, to get away to Portland uh, for a couple of nights, take our kids up to Portland. They were much younger than they are now, and uh, I had a friend at the time who uh, had just planted a church uh, up in the Portland area, and we were there midweek, and so we decided, hey, let's go hit up their their Wednesday evening service, and so we went and uh, just heard the most amazing uh, message from 1 Corinthians 13 on, on what love is. Uh, the, my friend was just a phenomenal preacher and, and uh, just was one of those messages that you just don't forget, you know, that kind of a thing. And after church was over, uh, my wife and my kids wanted to, to go to Voodoo Donuts, kind of the latest craze of the time, you know, kind of the trendy happening place in Portland. So like, let's go get some donuts. And uh, I wasn't really thinking, I don't know Portland that well. And as we're getting closer, we're, we're crossing the Burnside Bridge and I'm realizing in the moment, like we're going to downtown Portland at night. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to downtown Portland at night, but it, it's sketchy. <laughs> Uh, and you kids are little, got the family with us, and I just thought, well, gosh, we're we're here. We might as well just let's get our donuts and let's not hang around. Let's just go back to the hotel, you know, with our our donuts. And so uh, we found a parking spot just right across the street. Just got really lucky there. We didn't have to walk very far, and uh, I didn't have one foot out of the car. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, man, you have any money?" And uh, it wasn't a stick up. He was a homeless guy looking looking for a handout. <laughs> Yeah, but but I didn't know in the moment, and I just my first thought was like I need to get rid of this guy, and, and then my second thought was like okay I just came to church where we heard about love maybe, maybe I should love this guy, and, and like, like I have this internal battle in in my mind going on of like wanting him to go away but kind of feeling convicted um, from what we just heard uh, at church, and um, so we got out of the car and, and I asked like, what's your name he says his name's Andrew I remember him to this day you know this was probably ten years ago I remember him still pretty vividly. So my name's Andrew, and I just said, well, Andrew, what, like, what do you, what do you normally, how do you normally, you know, provide for yourself? And started telling me about how he has this place that he goes for day labor, you know, like kind of two, three days a week, he can get some day work, uh, which allows him to make enough money to get a hotel room once a week where he can take a shower and get cleaned up. And so as he's telling me his story, like my, my heart's kind of softening. I still have this kind of internal battle of wanting this guy to go away, but you know, my heart's softening, you know, towards this guy as he's telling me his story, and we're sitting out here in a parking lot in downtown Portland at night uh, in the sketchy area, and I'm talking to this guy, and he takes off his backpack, and he kneels down on the ground, and he opens up his backpack, and he, he pulls a, a book out of his backpack. It's a Bible, and he says, Some, somebody gave me this earlier today. He's like, I've, I've never read it. And he's like, do you, do you know anything about this? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I, I know a little bit about this. Matter, matter of fact, earlier in that day, I was, I was meditating on a scripture passage, and it had just been kind of fresh on my mind from my 
reading earlier that morning, and I said, can I, can I see that? Is, can I share something with you? And he, he gives me his Bible, and I open up to this passage I had been meditating on earlier in the day, and it was our passage today, Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. And I opened up and I read to him, and I said, said this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they of not more value? Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As I'm reading this to Andrew, I just began to cry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a crier. I'm not, I'm not the crying pastor. We have one of those. And I, I just, I, I couldn't even, he, he's not here, so I can say that. So, <laughs> um, I had a hard time reading this passage just because my eyes were just so welled up. I couldn't get through it. Like I'm trying to keep it together and kind of, you know, maintain my manhood. Like I can't break down and cry, you know. And, and I'm reading this and... I don't know if that meant anything to Andrew, but in that moment, it meant everything to me. I don't know if God was speaking to Andrew. I hope that he was, but, but God was certainly speaking to me uh, about our circumstance and our, our situation. And I just have never forgotten that moment. And we ended up inviting Andrew to, to come and have some donuts with us. There was a, a table outside and we sat down at a table and talked with this guy for a while, got to pray with him and and then you can imagine an interesting conversation on the car ride back to the hotel. It's like, well, why in the world did we do that? You know, kind of a thing. And, and you know, cool teaching opportunity there. But, um, you know, God spoke to me in that, in that moment, reminding me that, that ultimately it, it's God who provides for us. And ultimately, he's the one that, that brings us peace. And ultimately, he's the one that can quell uh, our anxiety because this world has a lot of troubles. Right, Matthew's talking here about you know eating and drinking and what we wear and those kinds of things, but but this world, as we know, has has a lot of troubles and a lot of things that that we can focus on and fixate on and a lot of things that can cause us uh, to be anxious. And so today we start off this passage, verse twenty-five. Therefore, and anytime we see therefore in the Bible, we have to look at what comes before it. Right? Therefore is the Bible's way of saying, in light of what was just said, in light of the previous verses or in light of the previous passage. And uh, last week, uh, Glenn spoke to us about laying up treasures in heaven versus laying up treasures here on this earth. And there's a difference. We, we can work hard and we do work hard to store up things that ultimately are temporal. Or we can work hard to store up treasures uh, in heaven that are eternal. And the Bible tells us in last week's passage that where our heart is aimed is indicative of what we treasure. 
right? Where, where our heart is aimed, is our heart aimed at things that are temporal or is our heart aimed at things that are eternal? And if you're like me, that can change from moment to moment. It's not a once and done kind of a thing, right? I'm always having to reorient myself uh, heavenward and reorient myself towards what's eternal uh, from what's temporal. But where our heart is aimed is indicative of what we treasure, We were reminded in last week's passage that the things of this world will not last, but the things of heaven will not fade. And so we have to ask ourselves a question constantly. What is it that I treasure? Where is it that I'm pointing my heart? What is it that I value? And we're constantly as Christians having to reorient. And that's part of uh, our goal from week to week in always bringing to you the message of the gospel, no matter where we're at in the Bible, is that, that it would reorient our hearts towards the eternal and off of the temporal. But that's part of why we do all of the things that we do. And so again, the the question that we have to constantly come back to in our own lives is what is it that we treasure? And I don't don't know that Jesus would say that that it's necessarily bad to to treasure like the good things of this life. Like we have to wear clothes and we have to have food and we have to have roofs over our head. Uh, We have to have transportation that's reliable, that gets us from point A to point B. But do, do we treasure those things more than we treasure God? That's the question. And, and again, if you're like me, like that, that changes from moment to moment, from one circumstance to another. And what we're going to see in our passage today is that anxiousness is an indicator in the life of the Christian that our heart has oriented on the temporal and not the eternal. Now, I, I will give a caveat. Like I, I realize that you know there, there are people that have anxiousness that's like a medically diagnosed kind of a thing, right? And I don't understand the science behind all of that, but but I don't want to stand up here and say to you like it's just as simple as is you know trust God and you won't be anxious. Easy to say. Another thing entirely to walk in that kind of a thing, and I know that God has grace for that and God has patience for us as we fight through just our daily anxieties and our daily worry. Right? We are not God. Uh, we are not perfect. We're broken people. We're fallible people, uh, prone to sin, pr- prone to chase after the wrong things. And somehow in the midst of all of that, and in the midst of just our uh, you know, bodies that have failed, minds that have failed in a broken, fallen world riddled with sin, God has much grace and much patience. And so what I would say to you that might have more of the kind of the medical type of anxiety, a diagnosed condition of anxiety, the, the call to you is still to trust God when it's hard to trust God. The, the call to, to all of us is the same, is to orient our hearts away from the temporal and towards the eternal, trusting that in that God is going to work. And so... What we would take from our passage today is that if our heart is aimed at heaven, if it could be perfectly oriented at heaven all of the time, in every circumstance, we would not have anxiety. We wouldn't have stress, right? But but the problem we know is that that we're not perfect and, and our heart is not always aimed at heaven all of the time. In our passage today, Matthew gives us a couple kind of big examples. There are probably many things that he could fill in the blanks with here, but he gives us a couple of pretty big examples with food and clothing. Those are things that are on our minds all of the time, right? Um, you know, I wake up in the morning thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner that night. Like, dinner's my meal. Um, and that's usually one of the first thoughts 
right? What, what's for dinner tonight? What kind of meat is going to go on the grill? Something along, like I just think about it all the time. I wake up, usually my second thought is like, what am I going to wear today? Like I don't want to you know, look like a goofball. So you put some thought into what you put on. We had, um, I don't know, a month ago, maybe a couple of months ago, Pastor Brent and I showed up in Lapine wearing basically the same thing. Um, I get anxious about that on Sundays now when I'm with Brent. Like I got to make sure that I'm not going to dress like him, right? <laughs> These are important. These aren't unimportant things. I don't think Jesus is saying what we eat and what we wear are unimportant. I don't think he's saying that at all. These are important things. Uh, a couple of stats that I pulled uh, in the fashion and the food industries. Globally, the fashion industry brings in $3 trillion a year. It wasn't that long ago when, when we didn't talk about money in trillions. right? It seemed like billions was quite a bit not that long ago. The fashion industry brings in now $3 trillion a year. The food industry globally is $8.7 trillion. And so you put those two together, $12 trillion in fashion and food, like what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. This tells me that, that a lot of people think about food and clothing all over the world, right? And, and to, to a point, rightfully so. Again, these things are important. We can't last long without food. Depending on where you live, you can't last long without clothing if you live in harsh environments. And so we value what we are going to eat and we value what we are going to wear. And again, to an extent, rightfully so. But Jesus tells us in this passage that life consists of more than what we eat and more than what we wear. As much as we need those things, as much as we need food, and as much as we need clothing, life consists of more of that. So as we think about the therefore in this passage, therefore in light of the call to store up treasures in heaven, to store up treasures that are eternal rather than storing up treasures that are temporal, Jesus says, in light of that, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life in Matthew 6.25. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on is life not more than food in the body, not more than clothing. And he's asking this as a question, but the answer is obvious. Right? Jesus isn't answer, asking a question because he's wanting you to provide the answer. He's asking a leading question, one that, that we all ought to read and say, okay, I know the answer. And then he gets into a couple examples. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, I don't know much about birds, but, but I've never seen a bird with a, with a multi-story, multi-room nest. They're pretty simple, right? And God takes care of them. Somehow God takes care of the birds. I've, I've never seen a bird with their living nest and their storage nest and it's just full of you know, worms or whatever birds eat. They, they go out day by day, moment by moment, and, and get what they need for their sustenance. And Jesus tells us like this is God's way of, of taking care of them. As far as we know, bird, they don't plan for the future. They don't save for retirement. I'm not saying those things are bad to do. But they don't do those things, and God somehow manages to take care of them when they probably don't have a five-year or 10-year or 20-year plan for their life. They seem to survive, and they seem to do just fine. And in light of how God takes care of the birds, Jesus reminds us that we as human beings 
have far more value in God's economy than the birds of the air. We as human beings have far more value because we have capacity to know God. I don't know what the capacity of, you know, outside of humanity, you know, animals, like I don't know what their capacity is to know God, but we have a unique capacity among all of the created order to know God, to commune with God, to pray to God, to trust God, to have faith in God. And because of that capacity, we have more value than the birds. And so Jesus is calling us in this to trust him to trust him in our difficulty, to trust him even in our doubts. He's calling us to not worry. Matter of fact, he says that being anxious can't add a single hour to our span of life. Yet we spend a lot of time worrying. And, and again, I, I know it's not as simple as just saying don't worry. It's not, not always that simple. But at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm a logical, pretty logical person, analytical person. And, and so I, I, I like statements like this, right? Worrying doesn't add an hour to your life. Being anxious doesn't add an hour to your span of life. Like that resonates with me. In and of itself, worrying about anything doesn't typically change it. Um, as, a, as an analytical person, if you're like me, like I can, I can fixate on things for a long time that I just shouldn't fixate on. I don't, I don't necessarily worry so much. God didn't wire me that way, but, but I analyze everything from every angle all the time. That's me. Maybe you can relate to that. And even that doesn't, doesn't change anything necessarily. I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon that says this. It says, whenever you and I begin to try to manage God's kingdom for him, we find the divine scepter too heavy for our little hands to hold. And I don't know about you, but like, I like to take the reins of management. I tend to think I'm pretty good at it tend to think I have a lot of good ideas. God hears my ideas all the time. But at the end of the day, I'm not meant to manage God's kingdom and you're not meant to manage God's kingdom. We're not meant to necessarily put things in the suggestion box for how he can do things better. Yet we do. And Spurgeon reminds us that that, that's a burden that we're not meant to carry as human beings created by a sovereign God. That, That scepter is too heavy for our little, weak, feeble fallible, broken hands to hold. We just can't. Yet we try. We try over and over and over again when we overly fixate on things and worry about things that are beyond our control to fix. Now, I don't know what your experience is, but but my experience is often that in those moments where we might be prone to anxiousness or prone to worry, those are the moments where, where God grows our faith in ways that he wouldn't grow our faith if we didn't have anything to worry about. Right? So, so even, even in our brokenness, even in our tendency to try to take that divine scepter that we're not meant to carry, even in those moments, God works in us to grow our faith in ways that it wouldn't grow if we didn't have the difficult moments. Jesus goes on in verse 28 and says, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So so if you think the birds don't do much to survive, he says, look at the flowers. They do even less. They, They don't have the ability to reap or to sow. They don't have the ability to build or create anything. 
that they don't have the ability to do the things that the birds do. And God, look, look what he does to them. Have you ever been you know, out on a hike or something and you just come across a, like a meadow with wildflowers? There's nothing more pretty than that. And they don't do anything. They, they just are because God allows them to be. And the next heavy rainstorm that comes or the wildfire that comes or the animals that come that just destroy these things, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But if God so clothes creation in such a beautiful way, how much more will he take care of you who have the capacity to know him? How much more will he do this? Then he says, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't say, how much more will God clothe you of great faith? He says, how much more will God clothe you of little faith? Like there's hope for us whose faith wavers. That, that God doesn't look at us and say, your faith is wavering. I'm, I'm not going to talk to you or I'm not going to take care of you for a time. Come, come back to me when you have more faith. He doesn't do that. Us of little faith, God still takes care of and he still provides for us even when our faith falters and when our faith wavers, when we feel like our faith might not be all that existent. Right? And again, if you're like me, you might have moments in your life where you know, maybe you feel like you're exhibiting great faith in a particular situation. And you might have other circumstances where you feel like, like I don't have any faith at all. Right? It, it wavers, it comes and goes, it goes up and it goes down. That, that's normal, just so you know. It's, it's, not, it's not a weird thing if that's you. How much more will he clothe you of little faith? Little faith. We're told in the Bible that, that it doesn't take much faith to even move a mountain, right? It doesn't take much faith. And at the end of the day, it's God who grants us faith, the Bible teaches us. We, we don't produce faith in and of ourselves, and that's another conversation for another time. But, but we don't produce faith in and of ourselves. God grants us faith, and God grants us repentance, and he opens our eyes to see him and to follow him. And it's his work in us. And so in these moments of little faith, we, we run to him. We turn to him and, and we ask, give me more faith in these moments, trusting that God is going to take care of us. Our level of faith does not correlate in any way whatsoever with God's level of care and provision for those that he loves. And I'm thankful that those two things are not tied together. He goes on in verse 31 saying, therefore, again, we have to look at what came before. So what we just talked about, that God takes care of the birds and he takes care of the flowers and they don't do anything. The birds eat every day. The flowers are there one day and they're gone tomorrow, but God cares about the beauty of these things. He takes care of us. So in light of that, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Remember, we, we talked about a few weeks back in, in, when we looked at the Lord's Prayer. Part of the Lord's Prayer was to say, give us this day our daily bread. Not, not give me tomorrow's bread today or next week's bread today. The prayer wasn't necessarily that, that I would have you know, 10 years of provision saved up and a big bank account as much as I would like those things. But that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray in a way that we daily depend upon him. God, give me what I need for today. 
We'll deal with tomorrow when it gets here. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that it's a bad thing to plan for the future. I, I, don't, I don't think Jesus would, would say that either. Uh, I don't think Jesus would say that it's a bad thing to, to think 20 years down the road and how you're going to live in retirement. Like, I don't think those are bad things in and of themselves. But when those things overshadow our daily dependence upon God, that's, that's when they're not good. Right? When we're so fixated on the future, so fixated on tomorrow that we forget about today and what God's doing today and who God is today, that's problematic. God knows our needs. He knows that we need to eat every day. He knows that we need clothes to wear for our safety and for our protection. God knows that we need roofs over our head to sleep. He knows these things even before we ask them. Now, does that mean that we should never pray about those things? I don't think Jesus is saying saying that either. But rest assured, before you even come to God with a need, he knows what it is. And that's comforting to know that. He tells us that the Gentiles, they're, they're fixated upon these things. They're fixated upon tomorrow. They're fixated upon filling up their houses and they're fixated on filling up their bank accounts. They're fixated upon getting their peace from those things, from from having the pantry full and the bank account full and the closet full. Jesus tells us that our Father knows that we need them, and then he tells us that the antidote to this for the Christian is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, what Jesus is not saying here, he's not giving us a prosperity message. He's not saying, seek God and you'll have everything you want. That's not what he's saying here. So let's be clear about that. If if you look at Jesus, like Jesus at one point tells us that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Guys that followed Jesus, they, they lived pretty difficult lives. They were persecuted. They were tortured. So they weren't necessarily living their best lives now. But God took care of them. Right? He, he took care of them. So as much as we need food, as much as we need clothing, we won't survive without those things. As much as we need those things, we need something more. We have a greater need than food. We have a greater need than clothing. And the greater need that we have is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So is it problematic if we don't have food? Sure. Is it problematic if we don't have clothing? Sure. But you know what the greater problem is? is that we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We can't produce righteousness. We're sinful. We're broken. We're fallen. We're marred by the effects of sin. And that's such a greater problem in the framework of the Bible than, than going without food. Right? You can survive a little while without food. Not long, but you can survive a little while without food in this life. But, but we won't survive eternity with this problem of unrighteousness that resides within us. And so Jesus is telling us, seek first, not food, not clothing, not what you'll eat, not what you'll wear, not provision, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these other things, they'll, they'll work out somehow. Like they'll work out in, in the wash somehow. Therefore, here, here's that word again. In light of fixating your heart on the eternal and not the temporal, in light of the fact that that God takes care of things like the birds and the flowers and and they certainly are not as valuable as you and I, 
in light of the fact that God knows what you need before you ask Him what you need, in light of the fact that we have this problem of unrighteousness. Therefore, because God has all of these things worked out, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's a slippery slope when we start worrying about tomorrow. Like, where does it end? Right? I can worry about whatever might come tomorrow, but then, well, like, what's going to come next week? Well, what about next month? What about next year? Well, what what might happen in five years? I think a lot about just our political landscape these days, as I'm sure you do too. And I'm my thoughts often go to like the trajectory that we're on, what's, what's it going to be like in five years from now? How are, how are we going to recover from what's going on in our, in our political landscape? I don't know if we can. And in my analytical nature, like I can start to think about those things and like, well, gosh, this could happen and well, this could happen and then this could happen. And, and I can start to you know, pull my hair out about like, this is where we're headed. <laughs> Doesn't change anything worrying about those kinds of things. Does it add any time to my lifespan whatsoever, according to Jesus, thinking about those kinds of things? But Jesus simply tells us, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious because you have a God that loves you. Don't be anxious because he's made his righteousness available to those who come to him in faith and in repentance. There's nothing more in life to worry about that's greater than that. And if you've got that covered, if it, like if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you, you have come to him in faith and you've come to him in repentance, you've trusted in him, you have, there's nothing that this life can bring your way that, that's worse than going into eternity in a state of unrighteousness. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves when we put all this together, because I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming, like most of, like I see a lot of heads nodding, so most of you are probably in agreement with what I've just said. The question that we then have to ask is like, do you really believe your own theology? When it comes down to it, in the heat of the moment, do you believe your own theology? And that story that I shared with you about Andrew, that, that was a moment for me where like God confronted me, like, do you believe your own theology? I came away from that simple experience with, with, with a greater belief in what I thought I already believed, right? A greater belief in what I thought that I already believed in that moment. The thing that bridges the gap between theory and practice is, is those kinds of experiences where God meets us in our difficulties. So much of our theology oftentimes is theoretic until it's been tested. Right? You can study the Bible your whole life and you can learn things and, and have this knowledge in your head about what the Bible says and, and what you think to be true. But, in, but until those things become tested, it, it's really more theory than practice a lot of times. And thank God that he tests us. Thank God that he's created a mechanism that takes our theory and turns it into practice. And so I don't think any of us would write our own stories that have a lot of the difficulties that we faced. 
We, we might not plan it to be that way, but it's in those difficulties for the Christian that God meets us and that God grows our faith and that God reminds us of things that we maybe already to some extent know to be true. So again, the question is, do you, do you really believe the things that you say that you believe? Do you really believe your theology? Again, I don't think that Jesus is advocating that we never give tomorrow any consideration at all. I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's saying that food and clothing are unimportant or that they're trivial and that we should never think about those things. I think what he is saying in this passage is he's calling us to a faith. He's calling us to faith in him, the one who provides, the one who is sovereign over all, the one who's created all things the one who's put the created order into place, the one who who makes the sun and the moon do their thing. He's calling us to a faith in him and reminding us, he's reminding us of the things that really matter. Again, not saying that food and clothing don't matter, but in the grand scheme of eternity, they matter a little bit less than maybe we tend to think they do in the here and the now. He's calling us to treasure things that are eternal over things that are temporal. He's calling us, according to Spurgeon, to lay down the scepter that we were never meant to carry, the scepter that we cannot carry hard as we may try. He's calling us in this passage to believe our theology, to trust him with the outcome of things that ultimately we can't control. And again, I realize it's not just as easy as saying, well, just trust God in your hard circumstance, brother or sister. Not that easy. Not that simple. But he is calling us to a faith and he is calling us to trust in him. An old song that you might be familiar with seems to make this point. It goes like this. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you. He promised, believe in him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, we're thankful this morning that uh, we have any ability whatsoever to turn our eyes upon you. And we have that ability because it's you who have uh, opened our eyes from the blindness And so, God, I pray that you would help us as we uh, endeavor to not live in anxiousness, that you would help us to trust you, that you would grow our faith, that you would help us to turn our hearts to things that are eternal over things that are temporal. You would help us to, to have eternity in view as we live our lives today, that we would consider the implications that we will as Christians spend eternity with you face to face with our Savior that you would help us to consider those implications as we think about the troubles that this life can bring with things like what we might eat and what we might wear 
where we might live, what we might drive, where we might work. Things that do matter. But Lord, help us to have a perspective of the things that matter even more and help us as Christians day in and day out to be reminded the glorious truth of the gospel that tells us that you did for us things that we could never do for ourselves. God, that you have provided for us a righteousness that is foreign to us except that you give it to us that you would help us to remember what Christ has done for us, that you would help us uh, to trust in that, to have faith in that, that you would help us to trust you, uh, even just in the simple provision uh, of our lives. Lord, we can't do this without you, and we're asking today for your help, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.